Welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. We have another Battleground Wisconsin without our usual host, Matt Brusky, because he has again been called out of town unexpectedly. Uh, I am actually doing this out of town as well. I was trying to take um, a brief vacation uh, right after a conference in New Orleans. I am currently in Gulfport, Mississippi. But I will be back in the saddle next week, but I'm hiking. I hiked in the bayou uh, yesterday and even fell in the swamp. So I've gotten the full bayou experience. <laughs> it is slippery. So, and no alligators were there, thankfully, or you wouldn't be hearing from me right now. But I am joined by Claire Zautke, our usual panelist and Citizen Action's healthcare director. So welcome, Claire. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure our listeners are glad that you made it out of the bayou. Otherwise, it would have just been the Claire hour. Uh, just <laughs> folks listening to me get on my soapbox for a good 60 minutes. Exactly. Um, it is like being in a primeval kind of landscape. It is so different than Wisconsin. Uh, most of it has to be boardwalked because well, you'd be up, you'd be waist deep in, in muck if it wasn't, but then some not boardwalk. So anyway, um, fortunately for, for the battleground Wisconsin, not necessarily for the good of the world, uh, some topics have broken in the last week that are things that we were all very deep on. And obviously we, we know where things are going to land. So Claire, I know we're, we're living in this ultimate threat to democracy and the possibility of fascism uh, rearing its head and taking control by 2024 and in, in not just Wisconsin, which, which has a huge voice in all of this, but the, the whole United States of America. But we have a whole lot of democracy-related issues. And of course, that'll get international relations as well, because by goodness, the war in Ukraine, which Putin says is not a war, but an operation, also it has to do with the global threat to democracy. So, but let me start with Wisconsin democracy, Claire, and we finally know what the maps will be like. And the maps are going to, partly because of the further rigging by the right-wing majority of the state Supreme Court, they're going to favor Republicans. They might be slightly better but they than last time, but they're going to create a natural 55-44 majority in the Assembly, according to the voting numbers, and for the Republicans, and a, and a, and a natural 20-13 to 13 advantage in the state Senate. So a situation where if we lose any governor's race for the next 10 years, unless we can win the legislature in a, in, a, in a surge election. It remains to be seen how many people think, uh, how, what people think the surge needs to be for Democrats to have majorities in either house or both houses. It's not impossible, but it may be unlikely. But this happened, Claire, because the state Supreme Court intervened, which it's never done before in, in maps when there was a partisan division between the governor and the legislature and created a whole new standard never used in federal or other state courts, just invented it, the least change criterion, which is a rather strange criterion, given how Wisconsin's maps were among the worst gerrymandered in the uh, country last time. So why would we have it a least change uh, standard for that? How do you invent a standard like that that's never existed in, in the history of redistricting? It goes back well over 200 years. 
uh, in this country to the original Constitution, actually. Um, and so, but we, but what Governor Evers did was he he submitted the least change maps. Therefore, because Justice Hagerdorn is a conservative judge, but at least a consistent one, unlike the other three, voted with the quote-unquote liberal justices um, and to do these maps. So the folks who created the least change criteria also voted against the least change maps, which is par for the course for the politicized state Supreme Court. But Claire, where, what, do you th- what is your reaction and where do you think we go from here in terms of, uh, of actually having a legislature that represents the voice of, of the, the people of Wisconsin? Oh, boy. Um, these maps are su- <laughs> it's just such a letdown. Um, I, I, I look, I'm glad, of course, that if we had to stick to this least change um, BS criterion from the uh, state Supreme Court, Look, I'm glad that it was the governor's maps and not the Republican maps that got chosen. Um, I mean, for obvious reasons, right? But it doesn't mean I'm happy about the way that this turned out. At the beginning of uh, 2021, when we were looking towards the uh, redistricting process, I remember having so much hope and thinking these current maps are so bad and so gerrymandered they really couldn't get much worse. And we have a governor, a Democratic governor, who has promised that he would veto any bad maps. So they're going to have to work with him just a little bit. So maybe we'll get just like a little bit better than we are right now. And to have those hopes just so completely dashed um, that even this like very small bittersweet, it's hard to even call it a win-win um, is is still disappointing. And um, so so it's hard for me to talk about these maps as, um, as as a sort of victory, even though I know that we need to and a lot of our allies are. Um, and I mean, for context, I mean, this is a stat that gets thrown out a lot, but it's important, right? That the current maps, the 2011 maps, gave Democrats um, just something like 38% of state legislative seats, whereas um, on on statewide, we know that Democrats are casting more votes or at least consistently have since 2018. So, um, you know, every every statewide election has gone to a Democrat, even, even narrowly, like it still shows that is tremendously more than 38% of the votes, right? So there's just this huge disconnect um, between what happens in in elections and what happens in representation. So that's that's my starting point. Um, you know, I, I agree with you about Justice Hagerdorn. Um, you know, he may not be a liberal judge, um, but at least he's internally consistent which shows a modicum of integrity, which I appreciate. Um, interesting about these maps that's gotten a little bit of news coverage, but not a lot, is that it, they actually redistrict a, uh, a number of Republicans in particular into districts against each other. So um, state senators Dale Coyenga and Alberta Darling, who are in suburbs around Milwaukee, um, for example, um, two longstanding legislators, powerful legislators, members of the Joint Finance Committee, um, Alberta Darling in particular, um, big leader in the state Senate, 
um, has been in the legislature for years, survived a recall um, against uh, Dale Koyenga, who's uh, recently moved up from the legislature or from the assembly, uh, moved them into the same districts. And I think Senator Koyenga just like built a new house too. So it's not like he's going to want to move. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how some of these races play out. And the second thing that I, I haven't gotten much coverage of, but I, I heard from somebody who was doing some analysis of the um, partisanship of districts is that um, the first congressional district, which is Brian Steele in the Kenosha Racine area, um, it still leans Republican, but um, much by much, much more narrow, right? By only a, a couple percentage points, I think. Like it's like a plus two Republican district now. Uh, I Don't quote me on it, but that's what I think I, I'd heard based on pre preliminary analysis. Um, so, uh, I, I'm a, I haven't looked into what is happening in CD three, which is Ron Kine's district. I think that's the one they had the most incentive to try to make more Republicans so they could flip a, a congressional seat. Um, but it's interesting that, um, that the first CD might be in play. I would imagine that there's a lot of people, um, down there in Racine and Kenosha who are, um, doing some, some scrambling right now, um, because that, that landscape has, has suddenly changed and maybe become in play. So to the congressional maps, CD1 was always a swing district. Had used to have Les Aspen, used to have Peter Barca as the, as the members of Congress, and they gerrymandered it into a safe Republican seat for Paul Ryan. So if that really did take place, and I know you're, you were expressing this with caution, you know, tentative information you have, that's very interesting. What happens to CD3 is also immediately interesting. But it'd be great if we had two competitive congressional district races in Wisconsin, because if that actually happened, that's closer to democracy. You're actually, you don't have competitive districts, you don't test out and hold accountable legislators. And I do not for the life of me understand why that's not a criterion understood for redistricting, because what is the point of elections other than to require legislators to come back and actually prove that they're representing the people? When you have these dead letter office districts, which is what the politicians try to do on both parties when they try to protect incumbents and get partisan advantage, then that, that actually helps to strangle democracy. So this is all related to that. Now, I would just add on the maps, you know, uh, I try to be very fair regarding to Governor Evers. He is a coalition partner, but he is on the moderate side of the party. We exist and actually on the, in the, the growing progressive wing. In this case, he did what I often am trying to get us to do on the left. That is, he did something that he didn't really want to do because he wanted much fairer maps, but he took the best deal he could get and outmaneuvered the other side and got maps that are not as bad as before, could get better uh, over the next 10 years because the maps always change as population shift over time and even partisan voting patterns over a 10-year period. And so he here was the pragmatist in the sense of getting the best we could for democracy in an imperfect world and pushing it as far as he could. So I want to just praise Governor Evers for it was tough, but he, uh, he, he in this case, he showed what a leader has to do is to sometimes make a non-balanced choice about what will have the most benefits, even if it's not what you what fully what you want. So, with that, we need to take a quick break. You are listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. 
we've been talking in our first segment about the map and their implications. And I think we've gone through all of the top lines. I think we're probably ready, uh, though there'll be a lot more on the maps, you know, whether how easy it would be for Democrats to win, what kind of statewide majority would you need? Because clearly Democrats have to overperform in order to have a surge election enough to win both the Senate and Assembly. We don't know what that looks like yet. Political professionals will be digging in and will be adjusting and changing, not only within each election cycle, but from election to cycle to election cycle. So we'll know a lot. We know a lot, but we'll know a lot more. And we now know what the maps will be. So we know the playing field. And unfortunately, we've allowed, again, politicians and unelected judges to determine elections rather than the people determining elections and choose their representatives. And we have a U.S. Supreme Court. The courts are a huge, the, the right wing strategy of taking over courts has been huge in all this, also has washed its hands of a fundamental democracy issue. That is, do we have fair competition for elected office? It's absurd. It's an absurd proposition for Congress or state legislatures. But this is when you have courts that are right-wing political. There are no activist liberal judges at the level of the activism of of, of right-wing pre-fascist judges. So, but we have another big democracy issue, Claire. And if you want to say more about redistricting, please do. But I would just say that the embarrassing, you know, to which Constance's reputation, Michael Gableman's special investigator uh, uh, situation, uh, it's gotten crazier and crazier. And a, a, a judge, Frank Remington, forced him to release the internal record he has been illegally withholding. And Claire, it'll, there is no real investigation. They're buying food, they're getting furniture, they're getting an intercom system, they're paying to send him to political events, like a Republican Party dinner in Chippewa Falls, where he attacked uh, one of the few Republicans who's been brave and who's not running for re-election now. Then they're probably related, state better Kathy Bernier from Eau Claire area and Chippewa Falls area. And so um, this is not, this is looks to me, Claire, frankly, this is not an investigation. It's a public relations strategy to perpetuate the big lie, period. And to them, uh, though they do, the, the indications are they are very upset about the bad press and want to suppress information from places like, like major news outlets, so they don't get bad press. Uh, but it seems to me that this is mostly a public relations campaign and what they understand, which our side needs to understand, if you create doubt, that's all you have to do in order to undermine democracy. You don't actually have to prove the case. And we we tend to fixate, well, they haven't proven a case. If they've created doubt about whether the election was fair and whether it should be decertified, which is legally impossible, but Mr. Gableman, uh, who is an alleged former judge, Clearly, he's been a politician the whole time in robes and now not in robes in a fake investigational robe. Um, it seems to me this is mostly just an extension of Trump's big lie. And Claire, Trump weighed in even. So, you know, we, we got all the fixings of the right wing conspiracy this week. I think the big the big news here is that we didn't learn um, from the 700 odd pages that uh, the Dane County judge uh, really uh, 
mandate required that Gableman release of his records. Um, we, you know, we didn't learn anything tremendously new about the actual substantive work that they're doing, mostly because there is not a lot of substantive work that they're doing. Um, what we learned is that they're just taking public resources, public dollars, and spending it on their own salaries and their own creature comforts. And that is the thing that we as members of the public should be particularly offended about, right? That they, that they have spent uh, half a million dollars and um, have a few hundred thousand dollars left that they, that they can spend. And that, like you say, they're spending it on, uh, you know, furniture and travel and filing cabinets. And, um, the other interesting thing that these records show is that they got off to a really slow start, which means like, if this was actually something of tremendous urgency, like they claim, you think that they would have felt hard pressed to just get going, get moving. But, they spent a lot of time at the beginning figuring out like, how are we going to, how are we going to set up filing cabinets and, and things, right? Like that's something that the records are, are showing. Um, and it, it's just so, so transparently uh, a scheme to line their own pockets with public resources and um, it, 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 we should be offended on that on its own, but especially for that to be happening um, in, in the name of trying to investigate government corruption is just like the height of irony. And Claire, you are even absent that, even absent violating all of the state rules for what you can charge to travel and how much it would be, right? Because if I charge what Gableman did to go around the state, I'd be uh, rightly fired as executive director of a nonprofit, right? Because we do plenty of travel at CIS National Wisconsin. We're a statewide organization uh, with national, national connections. We don't do international travel, but state and national. And so what it is really is if it's purely a public relations campaign to advance the current Republican strategy connected to their disgraced former pre and, and twice impeached president, then they're using taxpayer money for the whole thing, including the investigation. So what I think, Claire, it goes, I want to see if you agree, it goes beyond the meals and the, uh, and the other expenses, the groceries, uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 various furniture. Um, very important that there be a, we have a nice ergonomic uh, setup for Judge Gadelman, former Judge Gadelman, do his work. Right, I say sarcastically. But this is funding politics. This is what the caucus scandals were about two decades ago. This is funding politics with public money through the power of the legislature and the power of Robin Voss, the speaker, who is kowtowing to this, even though he's smart enough to to know better. He is. I don't think he believes any of this, but he thinks it's politically necessary so he can hold on to power. And that's where the corruption and the rot starts, when it's all about your power and not about the people. What do you think, Claire? Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, there's there's not much more analysis to add to that than what you said, right? Because you're just right. I, I think the last thing that's important to mention on this, though, is that he's not done, right? Like this this is a, a man who is um, empowered by Robin Voss to keep wasting public dollars. The legislature has gaveled out for the year and Robin Voss made sure to sign um, this past week uh, a new contract with Gableman extending uh, his work through, I think, April 30th. 
Um, so his old contract had already expired, but he kept working. And so they kept paying his and his staff's salary, even though the contract was expired. And so this contract is going to expire in April 30th. And I am just not convinced that, especially because the legislature is gaveled out, that he's not just going to keep working and keep sending invoices. And the legislature is not going to reconvene until November. So goodness knows how long that he can just continue unchecked to collect this massive paycheck. Gable Gate. <laughs> well, that our producer just suggested that giving credit. See, we get we get uh, we get tips from the from our producer Brian. So I was just going to add this. You know, Claire, you and I and other Democrats and progressives, the whole Democratic tent. Talk about absurd and ridiculous is this is uh, straight news reporting will show you it's absurd and ridiculous. Here's the challenge. Uh, to threaten democracy, you just need to create doubt. The burden of proof is very low. And they are seeding doubt with their own base, with most Republicans who believe what their authority figures say to be true, because then they go about living their lives like most um, average working people, right? Or people just uh, just uh, working hard and advancing to, towards their dreams. And so what's damaging about this is that as clownish as it is, it really is doing real damage to democracy because you can have a functioning democracy unless there is faith across the aisle, so to speak, across the whole spectrum that elections are fair and that elected officials are legitimate. And they are saying, continuing to sow the lie that President Biden is not the legitimate president. And so here's the problem, Claire. They may be getting what they want, and we may be wrong simply to focus. We need to point it out, but only to focus on the absolute absurdity of this whole investigation. Uh, would you agree with that, Claire? Absolutely. Absurdity is the right word. And we need to, therefore, to some degree, change the subject. We need to deal with this, but then to what democracy can do for you. And because that's why people would even engage and fight for democracy if it were something to them in their lives. And that's why the big issues we're trying to advance, like actually making healthcare affordable and, and, and making it accessible to far more people, uh, is starting a real climate transition that actually creates a huge amount of economic equity. Those are not non-democracy issues, Claire and audience. Those are what we rebuild faith in democracy with because it's muck to go back and forth talking about Michael Gableman and Robin Voss and the big lie. In fact, from a communication standpoint, by saying it, you invoke it in people's minds and give it more traction. One of the things that, um, that some of the cognitive message framers are correct about is that once you say, I didn't do this bad thing, what do people think? This bad thing. So it is advertising and public relations number one, 101. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Hello, this you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig uh, from Citizen Action Wisconsin, joined by Claire Zoutke. Our usual um, host, Matt Brusky, is away on assignment, so to speak domestic family assignment, not a citizen action assignment. So we've been talking about democracy the whole time so far, Claire. We talked about the new maps, the new rig maps. 
We talked about the uh, Gableman clown car investigation. Uh, one of the things that advances that conspiracy before we get broader even about that um, is that the the Senate is going to refuse to concur the state Senate on a bill that would allow municipalities to count early votes early. And Claire, I don't want to be overly cynical, but my recollection is, is that uh, Republican legislatures in battleground states refused to do this back in 2020 because Donald Trump wanted to create the impression that something went wrong in the elections by having a lot of the votes come in later and the votes against him come in later. So he can say, I was ahead in Pennsylvania, uh, in Wisconsin until we are in the morning and then something happened. Yeah, they finally counted a lot of the other voters votes, Donald. But it seems like this this is again not caring about election integrity whatsoever. In fact, not not caring about elections working well, but actually undermining them to prove a false narrative, which I think is the smoking gun that this is a conspiracy against democracy. And you link that, Claire, to the other thing they want to pull out of ERIC, the shared database between states that allows you to catch the kind of voting fraud where someone votes in Illinois and Wisconsin in the same election. So in the case of ERIC, they're actually making the elections less secure, whereas their big lie is all of these fake investigations are part of making them secure and supposedly investigating non-existent wrongdoing. So Claire, what is your reaction both on the, we're not going to count, apparently the Republicans have decided we're not going to count ask me this early so they can be released. The results at the same time, the, the uh, in-person vote is released. So you see the election results all at once, which makes more sense to the public. And that we're talking about making um, elections less secure by heeding some conspiracy theory that the shared database between the states to prevent fraud is somehow a threat. So Claire, what are your reactions to both of those? Yeah, that's uh, absolutely accurate. And I would also add that I think it bites into this idea of trying to sow seeds of distrust about how elections are locally administered, right? Because if they can uh, prevent uh, absentee by mail or early cast votes from being counted early, then it means that election night results are also going to be delayed maybe until the next day. Um, and it just allows there to be um, more distrust in the high quality local officials who administer elections, which then makes it easier to undermine the results of the elections in general. Right. Um, and that's that's how democracies crumble. And that's clearly been a main part of uh, Donald Trump's strategy. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the Republican Party have, have been bought into that, um, which is really so sad. Uh, so, yeah, I think everything you would add is correct. And uh, that, that's the only additional piece that I would I would throw at you. So you can see, based on our two segments, the conspiracy against democracy is alive and well and progressing in Wisconsin. We got to remember we're one of the states that determines the presidential election and determines the control of the U.S. Senate. So it matters here even more than many other places. Deep red or deep blue states are disenfranchised in this absurd situation. But sticking to our democracy theme, there is an even bigger democracy issue taking place right now. And it has a local connection, a state connection. Uh, look, the threat 
the, the, the uh, Vladimir Putin's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and move towards war crimes, which you're all seeing on TV, so I won't repeat what's going on. I, uh, I follow national relations generally, but my father's side of the family is Ukrainian Jewish, so I feel this one even more uh, and feel even more for the now heroic president of Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, but I would just say this, that we are, when we talk about trying to win the to fight for democracy in Wisconsin, this country, we're trying to avoid what the Ukrainians are having to go through now uh, to maintain their democracy. And if we get back to a, the right isn't just going to take over this country without a fight. It becomes a civil war, folks. And But it's much easier to prevent one by normal civil discourse or, or direct action, nonviolent action, than it is to, 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 have, to actually have a civil war, and that changes both sides and probably ends the country as we know it if there's that level of violence. But that's where they're leading the country. So take Ukraine is not only something where we have solidarity for, what, for their fight for democracy, but understand they're fighting uh, the, the, the kind of fight for democracy where we need to avoid because that's where it goes. That's where this goes. So, but our U.S. Senator... Uh, the senior U.S. senator from Wisconsin, I put that in quotes. Ron Johnson has been a big part of this. In fact, Claire, isn't he the very person who was at the center of the conspiracy to extort political favors out of Vladimir Zelensky, now a world hero, uh, in order to help uh, Donald Trump get fake dirt on Joe Biden to win the 2020 election? Is that the, am I remembering right that Ron Johnson... Uh, who is up for re-election as one of the two key, most important targeted state Senate races, that he is actually on the side of Russia against Ukraine and Trump and his corrupt political ambitions instead of Ukrainian democracy. Is that right? Yes, uh, you are absolutely remembering that correctly. And in fact, I think there hasn't been enough um, analysis in the, the state media about the role that Ron Johnson played in perpetuating the anti-Ukrainian sentiments in this country and spreading the lies of Russian propaganda that it was you that it was the false 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 claim that it was Ukraine that was trying to interfere in the elections in support of um, Democrats when in fact it was Russia we know spreading massive amounts of misinformation and uh, you know bots on social media and whatnot in favor of Donald Trump and so um, and so Ron Johnson um, even went so far if my memory is correct as um, trying to threaten to withhold uh, military support in 2020 from um, Ukraine if they didn't. Uh, if they didn't support whatever this fake investigation is into, uh, I think it was Hunter Biden and um, political ties in Ukraine, right? So which like now in retrospect is so clearly a double whammy of propaganda in favor of Russia because you are at the same time both um, perpetuating Russian propaganda, making um, diverting attention away from the bad actor, the real bad actor, which is Russia, at the same time as weakening Ukraine, you know, less than 24 months before they were going to be invaded by Russia. So uh, it it's just 
and it was Ron Johnson. This was not like a massive um, U.S. Senate Republican effort. Um, I mean, Republicans, my memory is in general, were were like fairly bought into this. But Ron Johnson was the standard bearer for um, for this conspiracy. And we really got to hold him accountable to the massive amount of harm that he has done in spreading Russian propaganda and setting them up for success in this war. I'm not saying that like Russia invaded because of Ron Johnson, but Ron Johnson was complicit in spreading Russian propaganda in this country and smearing Ukraine. You know what they say, birds of a feather flock together. So Donald Trump showed a bizarre affinity for Russian uh, kleptocrats and for Vladimir Putin, who he was outright deferential to, like a junior partner. And we went up again to there are a lot of potential economic reasons for that. Um, and that has been a thing on the right with Ron Johnson, uh, with some right wing commentators, though. What's fascinating is there's a split among Republicans, Claire. You have the old guard. We're going to go back to the Cold War, but we're going to we're going to we're going to say Biden needs to be muscular and militaristic and threaten World War Three. That would be the second most popular Fox News host, Sean Hannity, and many of his followers in Congress. But then uh, Tucker Carlson was totally on the nothing to see here in Ukraine. In fact, Vladimir Putin is is a strong leader, right? Which we've also been hearing from white nationalists who adore and cheer for for Vladimir Putin. So that says something too. Um, But then what's happened is since Putin and right-wing conservatives in this country, Trump conservatives, didn't expect Vladimir Zelensky to develop this sort of status and be this heroic. It's what they call, Claire, soft foreign policy power. It's not arms it's not economic might. It's what you can do by in terms of human sympathy about you you being a certain kind of leader, and and uh, and your people capturing public imagination internationally. And that's where Putin really miscalculated. And that soft power has led to much stronger Ukrainian resistance than any of the Putin war planners predicted. And they're already bought, they're making progress, but they're bogged down. I know we're getting to a break, so we'll have to pick this up after um, our brief break. So you are listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, joined by our healthcare director, Claire Zoutke. And we've been talking a lot about democracy here in Wisconsin and then internationally and everything in between, and Ron Johnson is having a pivotal role. Uh, I think another part of democracy, Claire, as we, as I mentioned at the end of one of the segments, has to do with the what democracy delivers for people. And I think the cynicism that's created, been created in politics, um, it's it's toxic to democracy. People have to feel like their communities can improve, their lives can be improved, that they have a personal stake in democracy. And when democracy doesn't deliver anything, like a legislature here in Wisconsin that works less than any full-time legislature in the country, I believe, um, and actually wants to have gridlock until they have full control, uh, then that actually is as big a threat to democracy as rigging the voting system. They're both threats to democracy. And you could have the perfect voting system and no one would care or vote because there was no stake in it. 
So you see that with education. And Claire, this is one of the few examples of where the Republicans are indicating what they would do. They're not taking the Mitch McConnell stance. I don't have a platform. You'll wait and see when you make me Senate majority leader again. That is, I'm not making that up. That is Mitch McConnell's position on their platform for having a majority. So here, though, we have a sneak preview of what happens under, say, we'll take the current front runner, a future Governor Clee Fish, if she was to win the nomination of the Republicans and then somehow defeat Tony Evers. Um, it's a close, closely contested state. It's possible. So the, I think we know what she'd do and what she'd sign. So, Claire, you were on the school board from Milwaukee Public Schools for, for quite a while. And so, therefore, you are the perfect person to tell us about the dismemberment of MPS and the, uh, and the attempt to uh, make vouchers and private school education uh, and, and basically undermining public schools universal across the state of Wisconsin, not just Milwaukee so, and, and a few larger cities. So, Claire, what are, you, what are these bills and, 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 and what's your assessment of them as a former school board member? Yeah, so uh, as a reminder uh, for folks, because um, I know most of uh, the folks who listen to the podcast are not necessarily city of Milwaukee, uh, and I should say um, almost certainly not city of Milwaukee residents. Uh, so you may be thinking, why are we talking about this so much? Um, and I want to remind you that Milwaukee Public Schools, the city of Milwaukee, is traditionally where um, the legislature experiments with reforms and then spreads them around the state. So, for example, the school choice program started in Milwaukee. Um, they created a branch in the Racine area, then they created a statewide program. Um, so, uh, again, reforms um, that the legislator, legislature uses uh, or experiments with, and they start in Milwaukee and they spread it. So, um, if you if you live especially in an urban area somewhere else in the state, like Madison, La Crosse, Eau Claire, Green Bay, Wausau, um, and you know you should watch this closely um, because this this could be something that uh, comes to your area if uh, they spread Republicans spread their attention um, outside of the city of Milwaukee. Um, so the biggest bill here is a bill that passed um, the state Senate um, this, uh, this past week, and that bill would, um, by 2024, mid-year, um, break the city of Milwaukee's school district into four to eight smaller districts. And um, there aren't really any... Um, any good argument, I mean, there aren't any good arguments, period, but there aren't even any solid arguments, really, that Republicans gave for this. Um, Alberta Darling, who we mentioned in the redistricting challenges at the top of this episode, is um, a lead author, and she argued that smaller districts would break up the current administration and, and encourage more parental involvement, um, which really makes no sense at all because parents are parents, whether they're in one big district or a few smaller districts, and especially in um, low income, um, high poverty areas um, where maybe parents have to work um, multiple jobs, for example, um, uh, face transportation challenges, you know, um, food security, all of the challenges that go with um, being in um, an urban district, like those things don't change um, just because your, your student is in a district that has 20,000 students instead of 80,000 students. And um, 
so this idea that more parental involvement could be encouraged when Milwaukee public schools all have school parent uh, coordinators in every school that help encourage parent involvement and that the district has made a, a significant invo- investment in that over the past decade is just is just nonsense. Um, so uh, there's really no no good arguments here for doing this. Um, the real the real reason um, why in my mind they want to do this to break up the school district is because you want because it's a really effective way of of destroying the city of Milwaukee because you are separating um, children from each other, the future leaders of the city. You are you're separating them from one another. Um, you're taking one of the most segregated cities in the country, dividing it up geographically, um, which means you're probably going to have a district where all of the you know, maybe white kids are there. You're going to have another district where maybe all the Latino kids are there. You're going to have a couple districts that are like mostly just, um, you know, uh, black students. Right. And so you're, you're really um, reinforcing um, segregation and pitting people against each other, neighborhood against neighborhood um, and creating kind of a, a hunger game situation where they're competing against each other for um, students and resources and staff. Um, and so it, it's a really, really quick way for a city to lose a sense of unity and for um, th- that sense of unity to just be cut off or in ent- at an entire generational point. Um, I'm fearful that this would would create almost like a crumbling of, of the city's culture. And of course, Republicans want that because the city of Milwaukee is a great democratic engine for the state. Robert? As harsh and rightly so, as your assessment just was, Claire, it was probably too nice as to what this is. Claire's a very nice person, but that that was a scathing assessment, and I think it's even worse than that. Uh, they say this is about democracy, but they're doing this without any input from the elected representatives of the city of Milwaukee or uh, the Milwaukee uh, School Board, uh, Board of Directors of, of Milwaukee Public Schools. So, you would think a democratic decision would involve the people it actually is going to affect. It's also by far the largest uh, minority majority district in the state, huge majorities of black and brown kids, and it is white right-wing legislators from the suburbs and other places governing for them and claiming this is going to improve democracy. And so this is, uh, this is, uh, at least structurally racist and dog whistle racist. Okay, folks, just flat out. We know better. Alberta Darling and River Hills, a very wealthy Wisconsin, uh, suburb that you need to make, you know, you probably need to make close to a million a year to, to afford most of the places in River Hills. She knows better than the black and brown parents and their elected representatives on the school board and in the legislature. That's number one. Number two They're doing it to the whole state because they're saying anyone can take their public school money. You see, it's this myth that it's not ours, that we don't have a a, a stake in in a a public education system that is in everyone's interest. That's why it was created in the 19th century, and that was always the concept. And they can take their money and just give it to a private school where largest of income. You know what, folks? That's what they did in the South 
when Brown versus Board of Education came about, and they were going to be forced to have their their children, the white the white white kid, white parents, go to school with with black kids, right? This is the same thing. This is an attack on all public education, not just yeah. the Milwaukee public schools. So you're right, Claire. Milwaukee's the canary in the coal mine, but the attack on the rest of the public schools statewide is already in the bills, right, Claire? Right. And so um, to, to clarify what Robert uh, was referring to, um, a, a bill that passed the uh, state Senate would make uh, most private school uh, students eligible for publicly funded tuition subsidies, regardless of their family's income. Um, and so that means that public dollars are going to private religious institutions for children, even if their parents make $100,000, $200,000 a year, and that this plan would raise property taxes by an estimated $577 million. And to put that in context, the state refuses to raise the amount of money that parent or that school districts, public school districts can um, um, raise from property tax dollars to support their programs because they um, want to maintain um, low property tax levels. But when it comes to send to publicly subsidizing religious education, then all of a sudden they're okay with raising it by $577 million. Here's what this amount to folks as we close out this week's battleground Wisconsin. After the Civil War and Reconstruction, when African Americans were briefly given full citizenship rights, the movement that took it back and created the modern white supremacy in Jim Crow was called redemption. What we are seeing now is the elements of a redemption policy of all the gains of the mid 20th century, of Brown versus Board of Education, of the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Act. I apply this to all of our agenda items because we're having debates on redistricting, Claire, about how many one seat either direction of the seats will be held by people of color if Democrats can't have a majority, no matter what the popular vote, then those legislators will have no power in the legislature. So it will be entirely symbolic and performative for the most part to have one extra person. And so we need to understand this is all about redemption and there is a right-wing conspiracy against democracy, against public schools, and against all of the equity gains, the creation of the first true multiracial democracy in the history of this country starting in the 60s, they're trying to roll all that back. So that's all the time we have today. Well, I'm sure we'll dig into this in future episodes of Battleground Wisconsin. Thank you, Claire, for joining us. And we trust we'll have Matt Brusky, our usual host, back to lead us. Uh, but if not, we will persevere because we all need to persevere, folks. So thank you and have a great week. <laughs>